welcome to another edition of the And You Shall Know That I Am Yahweh, an Ezekiel podcast. I'm Ethan, very glad that you've joined us today. Thank you for the gift of spending time as we explore what God has made known through the prophet Ezekiel. We begin today in Ezekiel, the 24th chapter. In the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, the word of Yahweh came to me. Son of man, write down the name of this day, this very day. The king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day. And utter a parable to the rebellious house, and say to them, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Set on the pot, set it on, pour in water also, put it in the pieces of meat, all the good pieces, the thigh and the shoulder, fill it with choice bones, take the choicest one of the flock, pile the logs under it, boil it well, seethe also its bones in it. Therefore thus says the Lord Yahweh, Woe to the bloody city, to the pot whose corrosion is in it, and whose corrosion has not gone out of it. Take out of it piece after piece, without making any choice. For the blood she has shed in her, is in her midst. She put it on the bare rock. She did not pour it out on the ground to cover it with dust. To rouse my wrath, to take vengeance, I have set on the bare rock the blood she has shed, that it may not be covered. Therefore thus says the Lord Yahweh, Woe to the bloody city! I also will make the pile great. Heap on the logs, kindle the fire, boil the meat well, mix in the spices, and let the bones be burned up. Then set it empty upon the coals, that it may become hot, and its copper may burn, that its uncleanness may be melted in it, its corrosion consumed. She has wearied herself with toil, its abundant corrosion does not go out of it. Into the fire with its corrosion. On account of your unclean lewdness, because I would have cleansed you, and you were not cleansed from your uncleanness, you shall not be cleansed any more, till I have satisfied my fury upon you. I am Yahweh. I have spoken. It shall come to pass. I will do it. I will not go back. I will not spare. I will not relent. According to your ways and your deeds you will be judged, declares the Lord Yahweh. The date at the beginning of this prophecy, this message, is January 15th of 588. And this is one of two very pivotal moments in the book of Ezekiel. Because it is this day that the siege has been established. Um, This is told by prophetic insight to Ezekiel. There is no way that he would have been able to know that that was the particular day that the siege began. Uh, the events that were going on were taking place uh, well over 800 miles away uh, from Babylon in Jerusalem. And so this would be a way to mark that Yahweh has indeed spoken to Ezekiel because he is to mark the day. He is to recognize and to put it down. This is the day that the siege began. And later on, somebody might come with news and they would tell them the siege of Jerusalem, Jerusalem is under siege. And if anybody asked, well, when did that siege begin? They would be able to say on the on January 15th, 588, although, of course, they would have put it the ninth year, the tenth month, the tenth day of the month. And uh, it would be seen that Ezekiel had spoken the truth. This message that Ezekiel has been given here is uh, consistent with some of the messages that we've already seen. Uh, Ezekiel, in the first... Eight, seven chapters was called by uh, Yahweh to be a prophet. This is in the 593-592 period. Uh, he saw visions of, of the glory of Yahweh and described it. He was given his commission to go and speak to a rebellious and hard-hearted people. He was commissioned as a watchman for Israel. 
And then we start seeing the Sinax that he was supposed to do, that he had uh, built a model of Jerusalem in chapter 4 and set siege ramps around it and the siege works around it, just like what is now happening in Jerusalem. In chapter 5, he had to go through a very bad shave to chop off the hair of his face, and he was supposed to take some of it and throw it into the fire, scatter some in the air, and to slice some of the sword to indicate the fate of many in Israel. And then we start having the explicit chastisement and condemnation of the Israelites in Jerusalem for their sinfulness, their idolatry, their foreign policy, and their corruption. In chapter 8 through 11, Ezekiel is given a vision of Jerusalem. And he sees in this vision all the abominations being done in the city, representative abominations done in the city. Then he sees a moment of judgment, very much like what's about to come upon Jerusalem, and how very few were spared. And then he saw in an image the glory of Yahweh departing the temple, uh, departing Jerusalem, indicating that God was removing his protection from the city. From chapter 12 through chapter 19, we have a series of exhortations and condemnations of the city uh, that are they're coming in this 592 to 591 period. And we have the condemnation of Zedekiah for uh, the way he's going to leave the city in the end. We see the siege rations and the siege food they're going to be uh, eating, he's did that chapter 4, but again this message of eating their bread with anxiety and drinking their water in terror. There's a condemnation of the false prophets and the elders who have committed uh, idolatry. We have seen in fact Jerusalem would not be spared. Um, that Jerusalem is as a useless vine. In chapter 16 the and chapter 23 we have very vivid evocations looking at Jerusalem as a girl brought up uh, who became adulterous and a whore and that she was going to be humiliated and exposed, uh, that she made Samaria and Sodom look comparatively righteous when it comes to their uh, uh, the amount of iniquity being done in Judah. And then, of course, in chapter 23, it's Ahola and Aholaba, uh, Samaria and Jerusalem, using a very similar image. There is the parable of uh, the the treachery that Zedekiah has set forth and a lamentation over the fate of Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim. And we have the idea that the soul that sins will die, that this is did not have to happen this way. They could have changed, they could have repented, but they refused to turn to God and to live. That they have been persistently rebellious and iniquitous and idolatrous since the wilderness generation, even the generation in Egypt. And most recently in chapter 21, 22, uh, we have seen uh, the pre preparation for this moment. Uh, there's prophecies in 591, 590, uh, where we have the sword coming, the condemnation of the city uh, for all the blood that it has shed. So we go through all of that again, because all of these judgments, all of these forms of condemnation are now reaching their climax they are going to come to pass. The events are now taking place. And as we hear in the voice of God here, uh, it's not going to stop. It's definitely going to happen. There's no way that they can get around it. Uh, it has now been uh, decreed. Uh, even if they tried now, it would just be uh, far, far too late. 
this illustration that he has about the pot and putting food in the pot, uh, we've seen previously in Ezekiel, there was this very strange metaphor that they were using, that uh, the city is the cauldron and we are the meat. And uh, the idea of that was looking at the cauldron here in a more protective way, that, you know, uh, that uh, it will protect from the outside elements to protect the choicest meats. But, of course, God then turns that to talk about how uh, what's really going on is that you're going to be cooked and you're going to be condemned and cast out. So we have the pot image again, but we're going a little different direction here. Where we have this pot, we have all the good stuff in the pot, and we have it cooking. And you can kind of look in that illustration there that uh, the stew is being made, that Israel is goose is cooked. You know, we kind of even have that illustration uh, in you know, coming from uh, later earlier times. The idea that uh, it's it, it, they're in their city and they're all going to die in it, or a lot of them are going to die in it. But then he goes in a little different direction with it, and verses six and following, uh, where we have this. Um, a very strange uh, term being used here, one we don't see uh, terribly often, uh, that gets translated in different ways. Uh, it is uh, chela, uh, disease, uh, rust, um, and the NET Bible is going to go with rot. Uh, English Standard Version has gone with corrosion. Uh, others have gone with rust. Um, so rust, if it's cast iron, where's the rust coming from? We're supposed to understand that it's some kind of impurity, some kind of corrosion, impurity. And remember from Leviticus, which Ezekiel is going to be consonant with being a good uh, priest, uh, if it's uh, got any kind of corrosion in it, it is defiled. It cannot be used for uh, food purposes. And of course, there's some good cleanliness reasons for that. And so uh, the city here is being seen as the, the, the cauldron is impure and defiled because of the bloodshed that's been accomplished in the city. How many righteous people have been killed or people who uh, did no wrong were killed and uh, justice was not satisfied that uh, the blood was just on the ground. Um, whether he's speaking in a, in a in probably to some degree, it's going to be a little bit of hyperbole, but definitely brings the point home of the sinfulness of the city. And so now we have um, the woe being pronounced upon it for this rot, this corrosion. And of course, it means that all it can be good for is to be cast out. It has to uh, have everything burned up. And then you warm the, popper, the pot up to the point where its corrosion can be consumed, that it could be maybe cleansed. So we're supposed to see in this a kind of a cathartic cleansing as well. Uh, it's not going to be very enjoyable. It's not the kind of cleansing you want to go through, but it is a kind of a purge in that sense. And um, God is lamenting. He, he would that they uh, would have cleansed themselves. They would have turned uh, and he would have cleansed them. But, you know, they didn't want to do that. And so now they're going to suffer the full fury of Yahweh. And that's the great uh, terror that's about to come upon them. We continue in verse 15. The word of Yahweh came to me. Son of man, behold, I am about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke. Yet you shall not mourn or weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh, but not aloud. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban and put your shoes on your feet. Do not cover your lips, nor eat the bread of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and at evening my wife died. 
And on the next morning I did as I was commanded. And the people said to me, Will you not tell us what these things mean for us, that you are acting thus? Then I said to them, The word of Yahweh came to me. Say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I will profane my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the delight of your eyes, and the yearning of your soul, and your sons and your daughters, whom you left behind, shall fall by the sword. And you shall do as I have done. You shall not cover your lips, nor eat the bread of men. Your turban shall be on your heads, and your shoes on your feet. You shall not mourn or weep, but you shall rot away in your iniquities and groan to one another. Thus shall Ezekiel be to you a sign. According to all that he has done, you shall do. When this comes, then you know will know that I am the Lord Yahweh. Perhaps one of the most uh, difficult and sad, tragic parts of this story. Uh, when we talked about Ezekiel's call to be a prophet in chapter 2, we looked at the valence of some of those terms and recognized that Ezekiel did not necessarily seem to be the most excited about the life of a prophet. And uh, we can certainly understand why. Um, from what this text suggests, there's no expectation that his wife was going to die. Um, who knows, maybe she was sick or maybe she had a frail constitution or something where this may not have been as surprising. But uh, it, there's a powerful effect that's going on here. And so it probably means that Ezekiel's wife, uh, we would not have expected to die in this way. And perhaps the most tragic figure in the book of Ezekiel is Ezekiel's wife. Uh, we don't know anything about her beyond the fact that she exists. We can assume that she has some affection for her husband, hopefully. Uh, we can only imagine how she would have felt in earlier times watching him do these sign acts and grow emaciated, eating uh, starvation um, food and drink portions uh, for a very long time, back in the chapter 4 and 5 area a few years earlier. We can imagine that she would have perhaps suffered socially or had to deal with being the prophet's wife in the town. Probably not a very high status role. And to deal with how the community was treating Ezekiel. And so, and what did she get for it? She dies. And um, now, you know, we look at that and we look at the tragedy of it. Um, on the other hand, is she very fervently... Uh, yearns for the restoration of the people of God and for the temple. It could be seen as a mercy that she did not have to live to hear of the end of Jerusalem. That's certainly uh, one way of looking at it. Uh, that is maybe a contrarian in that way. But we can see that it profoundly affects Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel is profoundly moved by the loss of his wife. Um, and yet he does not go through the standard mourning rituals. He binds on his turban, his shoes he puts on, he doesn't uh, put a covering over him, and uh, he uh, does not, he fasts at this time. And the people are stunned. You know, what, what does this mean? Why are you doing this? Why are you um, 
not going through the standard morning rituals. And he says, I am now assigned to you as this has happened to me, thus it's going to be for you. And this gets very personal uh, in the sense that a lot of what Ezekiel has said, it, you would imagine he was actually in Jerusalem. It's hard to remember sometimes that Ezekiel is the prophet in exile because so many of his messages are about what's going on in Jerusalem and why Jerusalem is going to be condemned. But of course, the reason why it's of such great relevance to the exiles is because they continue in this conceit that they're going to go back soon and that they're not really in uh, a long-term exile. They haven't really been punished thus. And they're going to lose that pretense here very quickly. And here it's very specifically to these people that the temple, the light of your eyes, your great hope, because remember they've all been hoping so far, as long as that temple stands there's hope that they will be restored to the land and that all will be as it had been. But the minute that temple's destroyed, you're going to have a historical and theological crisis of the highest order. And it's going to happen. And their children, you know, the sons and daughters that you have left in the land, that any friends and family, other people in the land, are going to suffer greatly. And many are going to die. And only a very few are going to come and meet you in exile. And you're going to be so stunned and shocked, you're not going to mourn. You're going to go through this very same experience. And it's awful, and it's awful for Ezekiel, and it's going to be awful for the people. Finally, and as for you, son of man, surely on the day when I take from them their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes and their soul's desire, and also their sons and daughters, on that day a fugitive will come to you to report to you the news. On that day your mouth will be open to the fugitive, and you shall speak and be no longer mute. So you will be assigned to them, and they will know that I am Yahweh. If you remember, um, all the way back in chapter 3 and 4, we learned that Ezekiel was going to be mute uh, beyond the words of Yahweh. So he would speak the words of Yahweh, but otherwise he would not say a word for this whole period. And there's no real reason, despite some commentators' opinions, to think that that has changed. But there's this, this uh, strange promise that Yah his mouth would again be opened and he would again be able to speak when a fugitive comes to tell him. And the fugitive, we should understand here, is one who has escaped into exile. Uh, and the escape really just means he didn't die. Um, and this will be fulfilled in Ezekiel chapter uh, 33. And it's going to come well after the city is destroyed, about you know, eh, over a year to 18 months after the city actually falls uh, because of the time it took to travel all the way over. And it's interesting that by prophecy, Ezekiel is told the day that the siege begins, but we don't get a, another message saying, well, this is now the, um, the, the day the city is destroyed. Uh, that message is delivered in person by the first wave of, of exile stumbling across the, the desert. And so now the city is under siege. We would you maybe expect that during the siege that we're going to get this very uh, even stronger indictment, even stronger condemnation of the people of Israel. But as we're going to see, there's a major shift in place. Uh, now, moving into chapter 25, we have Ezekiel's nation oracles. And after the nation oracles, uh, when the city is destroyed, it's going to be a message of comfort. So we have come to the point where we've had a major shift in Ezekiel's prophecy and ministry. Uh, and we understand, uh, just like with uh, other circumstances, that um, there's no point in continuing to denounce Jerusalem because its judgment is now upon her. 
Now is the time to address other situations, and then when it's all said and done, to uh, comfort the people. And we will continue with that, if the Lord wills, and may he guide, bless, and keep you until we're able to meet again. Thank you.